1: Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC. Squawk on the Street.
2: Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Morgan Brennan at the New York Stock Exchange. David Faber is with us remotely, and Kramer has the morning off. Final trading day of July. Futures a little bit weak here, not just on Amazon's revenue miss last night, but the warnings about higher costs from both Caterpillar and p Inflation data was actually a little cooler than expected, and we're off the earlier lows. Our roadmap begins with Amazon's pandemic effect. The e-commerce giant with that rare revenue miss. Shares are down sharply ahead of the open.
1: Plus, more companies are delaying return to work plans amid renewed fears of the COVID virus. We're going to break down the implications for the future of the office with the CEO of one of the world's largest commercial real estate firms.
3: And Scarlett Johansson versus Disney, the Black Widow star suing over potentially lost earnings because of its streaming release strategy. Disney saying it has no merit.
2: We'll start there with Amazon, going to be a huge story, not just for the company and the price action, but the overall indices. Uh, David, we've been talking about some of the stellar revenue prints from the mega cap tech companies, and 27 still gets your attention, $100 billion quarter for the third time in a row, but uh, these warnings about slowdowns is definitely going to uh, be seen at the open.
1: Yeah, and listen, not the first time that we've seen Amazon sort of give us a warning only to ultimately exceed it, but you're right, Carl. Uh, it's been an interesting um, earning season for the biggest of the big, uh, you know, and we pointed out many times the incredible top line growth for all of these companies off of what are already enormous bases, growing the likes like a, like they're unicorns uh, as opposed to the largest companies on the planet. But nonetheless, most of them, Carl and Morgan, went. the stocks went down, uh, given that there is a thought, of course, amongst investors, and you can't blame them, that these kinds of growth rates are not simply uh, repeatable. Although, again, I mean, Alphabet obviously was up on that 57 percent constant currency revenue growth, uh, but uh, we've seen what happened with some of the other names, including Apple and Facebook, even Microsoft and now Amazon taking it harder than any of the others have, uh, at least so far this morning, certainly uh, after reporting numbers.
3: You know, it's interesting. Coming into the second quarter, a lot of the talk was around this reversion to the so called reversion to the mean, right? And what were these big tech names and all of these other types of stocks and industries that had essentially benefited from the pandemic and the stay at home trade, et, et cetera? Um, what that was going to look like as people started to come out of their houses, recoveries and reopens, reopening started, and what that was going to mean for some of the numbers. And in the case of Amazon, you see it obviously in these results. You could say the same thing about Pinterest and some of The other results we've gotten this week as well, the fact that the Nasdaq is poised to end the week lower uh, and the pressure there. That being said, there are some areas of strength. And advertising certainly is one of that. We've seen that in uh, Amazon. We saw that in Google. Alphabet, as you just met- mentioned as well. Um, but for so long, Carl, I feel like for years we talked about how it was Alphabet and Facebook and nobody else when it came to digital advertising. And now Amazon really is truly becoming this formidable third player uh, in this market. But again, speaking to how the bigger getting bigger. Uh, there's
2: no doubt about it. Uh, the other category, which is what Amazon calls it, it includes advertising, up 83. you year prior quarter up uh, 73 so you actually saw acceleration on that front but obviously that's not what investors are keyed into uh, this morning sticking with Amazon let's check in with John Blackledge Cowan senior internet analyst Uh, get a sense of uh, John what exactly the street missed they talk about rising mobility uh, as Morgan said (coughs) Pinterest today talking about engagement headwinds Uh, should this be an obvious story or was there a surprise built in there
4: yeah I mean, you know just the in near term view with the results in the guide, I mean you had the slight two uh, q revenue and op income miss versus consensus, as you mentioned, Carl, with the e-commerce demand slowing uh, with the rising um consumer mobility, and that did overshadow the accelerating growth at aWS and the ad biz and then I think the biggest surprise was the three q guide was soft uh, revenue outlook missed consensus by eight percent at the midpoint um, and it's expected to decline uh sequentially and for context. Over the last 10 years 3q revenue has averaged nine percent sequential growth Um, and then you had the op income guide was like two billion lower than consensus at the high end Um, and it was particularly disappointing um, just given how great the high margin aws and ad businesses are doing Um, so we modestly lowered uh, our long-term margin outlook and we raised our capex forecast um, on Amazon's historic fulfillment investments, and our price target went to 4400 um from, from 4600 and, and staying at, at Outperform.
3: Yeah, I'm just curious about the guidance. I realize this wasn't the first full quarter with Andy Jassy at the helm as CEO, but based on what we know about him and his, and his leadership over at AWS, I mean, is there a chance that we could be seeing a conservative guide because you have a new CEO who is in place now?
4: I don't think so. You know, I... Um, the top line guide was, uh, light, you know, lighter as as I mentioned um, than, than we thought. I think they're just bumping into tougher uh, e commerce comps, and I, I didn't think the the either the top line guide or the up income guide were conservative. But the the op income guide was surprising to me. Um, just just given, like, I'll give you an example in the second quarter. Uh, you know, depending on what you assume for uh, the margin for the advertising business. Advertising plus AWS were over 90% of the op income for the company. So, um, and those two businesses um, are accelerating. So, um, I, but I, I don't think it was conservative. I, I, do, I do think we need to look at the longer term here, or the intermediate and longer term in this historic fulfillment investment. The plan going into 2020 was to ramp fulfillment uh, network for one day and ultimately same day delivery. Then COVID hits um, and with the incredible demand surge, um, they ramped the ex- expansion efforts even further. And so, for context, we now are looking for Amazon to spend 85 billion in capex if you combine 2020 and 2021 capex spend, and that's versus spending 60 billion in capex spend the 10 years prior to 2020. Um, CFO last night said the fulfillment network nearly doubled in size the last 18 months, um, ending one half 21. Hmm. 21- At at about 500 million. So the network will expand further in the back half of the year as they prepare for the holidays. And and that will lead to elevated investment spend um, uh, through year end and, and dampen and dampen margins.
1: Yeah, those numbers are just staggering and they're almost hard to hard to contemplate in terms of that kind of spending, not to mention how many people they hired over the last, let's call it, year and a half as well. Um, But speaking of some other numbers, uh, John, what do you, you know, what about the multiple here? What is appropriate given this quarter and given the outlook that you're sort of sharing with us, at least from your perspective?
4: Well, I think it's trading at about 16 times next year's EBITDA. David, it's uh, the um, average uh, is is, uh, 13 to 25 times forward EBITDA. So it's kind of it's, you know, it's not expensive. It hasn't been expensive uh, for some time. So. Um, I just think investors are digesting uh, the top line guide uh, and the notion of, you know, kind of the next couple quarters are going to be, you know, tough comms. Um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't look for, you know, kind of multiple expansion in the back half of the year.
2: Um, finally, John, you know, as we head into back to school, actually, really, we're, we're already there in some parts of the country. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yes. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and then holiday. Um, would you expect those to face sort of rising mobility type of problems and like we saw in this quarter
4: yeah i think i think back to school would be a tailwind um you know uh, j- just given like theoretically if if uh children kindergarten through uh young adults in college if everyone's kind of back on a, on a global basis you're gonna have a tailwind with the apparel and accessories uh vertical you're gonna have some headwind probably on home and you know kind of um you know kind of at you know the the uh, uh, in electronics as well, but I think back to school is a tailwind for the company. Although you didn't really see it in the guide, uh, and then um, you know the holidays—they're you know they're preparing for for a big holiday season. So um, holiday, seasonally, it should be good. Um, uh, but back to school, I'd say tailwind.
2: Yeah, not often we see some uh, trimming of price targets on this name. Uh, we got a couple today, and interesting to get your your uh, your new metrics too, John. Uh, have a great weekend. Thanks very much. Okay, John thank Black, you. Glad you're David.
1: All right. Let's stick with earnings as well. Procter & Gamble posted better than expected quarterly results. The company also announcing chief operating officer Ron Mueller will succeed David Taylor as CEO in November. Taylor will take on the role of executive chairman. Here's what he had to say about the changes earlier on Squawk Box.
5: Uh, At the time I I hand it over to John, it'll be six years as the CEO. This is actually a very good time. The company's delivering strong results. The strategy is working. And John, along with a very strong leadership team and organization, are ready to take this company forward.
1: Yeah, Taylor, of course, has uh, been through uh, what was a, a difficult proxy fight and then a lot of smooth sailing to a certain extent, Morgan, as well for the company. As you can see there, uh, during his tenure, of course, up 84-plus percent. Uh, Would want to see sort of them versus some of their peers to really put that in perspective in terms of uh, his period of time as CEO.
3: Yeah. It's also interesting, we got got a number of manufacturers, um, perhaps some that are not so consumer-facing, but uh, more on the industrial side that reported earnings today and this week as well. Um, that are in focus, so Caterpillar this morning, for example, um, and you've seen beats on the top and bottom lines for some of those companies too, but it's costs, right? It's cost pressures, um, the ability or inability to push those costs out in terms of higher prices to end markets as well. And that seems to be a much bigger theme. And even if it's not necessarily playing out with Procter & Gamble, it is playing out in some of those other packaged food names uh, that have reported results. I think about Nestle, for example, yesterday, uh, which is which is Swiss, but was under pressure too. Um, and, and so I, I think that's going to be something that really kind of guides the market, Carl, uh, as we do go into the second half of this year and especially as we do see earnings catch up to price or perhaps in this case some back and forth among investors about just how much that's actually happening.
2: That was really, I mean, the line from P&G that uh, freight and uh, commodity costs had, quote, escalated significantly was what got a lot of attention on the tape. We on the on the flip side, though, Caterpillar, uh, David, did say that Full year price increases would offset some of those rising costs. And that is turning out to be the magic line uh, for a lot of these conference calls.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've talked to so many CEOs about inflation in, you know, in whatever they're in the core commodity that they need to make their product, not to mention, of course, wage inflation. But to your point, many are at least uh, trying to take price. Whether it be permanent or not, Uh, guys, worth mentioning, of course, the big oils reported uh, Chevron and Exxon. I mean, again, to this sort of broader point, Carl, you know, Exxon uh, chemicals were very strong. And that's an interesting reflection sort of of the industrial economy to some extent. Lubricants Mm. also, I think the strongest they've they've seen, Morgan, as well. Again, sort of an indicator of, of industrial and consumer demand, obviously. Oil as well did, did fairly well, but we'll keep a share, an eye on shares of Exxon this morning. They have a bit more to share as well in terms of some of their capital allocation. And, you know, they only spent $7 billion on, on, their, uh, on CapEx in the first half of the year. Not unexpected, but that will bring them at the low end of what had been their guidance on that front as well. As we see ExxonMobil shares not doing much right now, but we'll see how they uh, open uh, roughly uh, 18 minutes or so from now.
3: Yeah. And of course, we did see those chemical shortages earlier in the year, which again speaks to all the supply pressure, the pressures we've been seeing on supply chains in general. Uh, Coming up, what's next for Robinhood after its rough public debut yesterday? We got more in the street from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange straight ahead. You can see those shares are down right now.
6: Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create.
2: Robinhood entering its second day as a public company after the stock tumbled in its debut, closing more than 8% below the IPO price. Uh, Vlad Tenev, the CEO, shared his reaction to that decline with Kramer last night on Mad Money.
4: We're building a long-term business, so you have to ignore these short-term fluctuations. Some days markets are up, some days markets are down, some days the stock is up, some days the stock is down. Look back on what the company has been able to do over the past six years we've delivered a lot of a lot of great products a lot of value to customers and a lot of value to shareholders i'm used to being doubted personally i think from the very beginning um, we felt like underdogs here at robin hood and you know we'll see underdogs uh hopefully evolving into comeback kids
2: uh we had Paid attention to Leslie Picker's great metric about companies that came to market raising $2 billion, yes. uh, and being in the red. Uh, six straight, now seven, obviously, but this one is the worst performing day one IPO of its size.
3: It is. It was a rough day for this stock and I think for the investors, particularly some of the retail folks that maybe got in on the ground floor for this. But it's, it's one to keep an eye on. It's certainly interesting and, and I, that CNBC were able to bookend uh, these interviews with Tenev before the stock started trading and after. But of course, David, it's really payment for order flow. It's regulatory risks. I mean, this is what's very much in focus around this name, if not in the long term, then certainly in the near term.
1: Yeah, and those kinds of risks certainly are things we discussed. Of course, 80%, as we know, uh, of the revenues coming from simply payment for order flow. Questions about the long-term nature of the business. At the same time, uh, those who are believers believers, and listen to Mr. Ten of yesterday in both interviews and his discussion of it becoming a money app within five years, broadly speaking. Um, yeah. They are the ones, perhaps, who are going to be the longer-term investors here. But, Carl, listen, you never want to see... You never want to see an IPO break, syndicate bid, and certainly not in this way. We've seen it before. Uber comes to mind, certainly is having mm. a very poor debut, and it does over time. You do develop a, a shareholder base at a certain level, but it's not good, and we're going to follow it closely today as well and just see where it may, may settle.
2: Right. Also watching uh, ARK's strategy on all of this. Yes. Uh, Kathy Wood did buy about 1.3 million shares, even as she has sold some Roku quite a bit, actually, over the past month. Uh, but we'll see how many defenders it has over the medium term as we get into another week of trading next week.
3: Yeah, and that and those money app comments and what that vision, what that strategy ultimately looks like, I think is going to be key to this whole payment for order flow. The fact that that is such a you know large percentage of revenue right now to diversify away from that, beyond that, um, and what all of that data could mean from a monetizable standpoint beyond. That type of revenue stream is going to be key for Robinhood and I'm sure something Kathy Wood is keeping in mind and others that would be investing right. longer term.
2: And I'm thinking of what Jim said yesterday, David, and that was that in some way uh, retail investing sentiment was riding on the performance of this. And that'll be a longer term story to see whether it took a, a bit of a ding uh, as, uh, as the IPO didn't go. The way it hoped. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, there's a lot more still to be determined. Take a look at the futures. And as we wrap up, wrap up the month of July today, some of the S&P gainers for the month today, Moderna is going to be number one. Uh, also on the list, Chipotle farther down the road. A lot of actually uh, food service, Yum! Brands, Domino's, Oracle and Hilton are down there as well. Let's walk on the streets back in a minute.
0: What's on the horizon for financial markets?
2: Bitcoin is an idea
5: that's worked. It might have been risky 10 years ago, but how long do you have to watch something spread like an idea virus before you decide that maybe it's uh, it's going
2: to be around for a while?
3: Well, that was what MicroStrategy CEO Michael, Michael Saylor said about Bitcoin on this program last month. Stay tuned to hear what he's saying now about his crypto strategy in the next hour of Squawk on the Street, which of course is key to this company, uh, which is also technically, at its core, a business intelligence company, Carl. Reported earnings after the bell last night. You're actually seeing growth in that core company, but of course... Uh, crypto, specifically Bitcoin, the fact that the company owns more than 105,000 Bitcoin now has turned to the debt markets to finance some of those purchases uh, is such a key focus and, and key reason for the volatile movements we see in the stock in general alongside Bitcoin.
2: Well, Speaking of volatility in Bitcoin, up 11% for the month is uh, going to be uh, the best first positive month in about four months and the best week since February, right? Remember, remember when we were in the high 28s? And people wondered about whether or not some of these chart patterns could uh, could last. Uh, some of the bulls definitely proved some of the skeptics wrong, at least on that episode.
3: Yeah. And certainly what we've heard from a number of guests this week is that you are starting to see more institutional flows back into uh, Bitcoin and some of these other cryptocurrencies like Ethereum this week as well. Uh Meantime, there's also a big development that you'll want to know about, and that is our own David Faber will be the guest host of the iconic game show Jeopardy! That's all next week. David, I can't wait to see this, and I'm dying to know uh, what your preparation was like and if there were certain questions that even stumped you.
1: Uh, there absolutely were, and it was a great deal of preparation. Uh, we did uh, tape the episode some time back, of course, uh, as they continue to have guest hosts on the program. LeVar Burton finishing up this week, and I'm very much looking forward to uh, to watching uh, my five uh, episodes and uh, hope everybody else will as well. It, it really is a, it was a fascinating, exciting, and difficult uh, undertaking, uh, Morgan and Carl. Uh, you know, it's a very specific show and obviously I did try to do as best I could in particular to sort of move it along and, 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 and make it as easy as possible for the contestants because that's the key. You know, very... They're the star along with Jeopardy itself. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, you're looking very spiffy in these photos that we're showing on air, David. I'm curious, as somebody who's been a contestant and now a host, which was harder?
1: Uh, oh, I think hosting. Yeah, I think hosting was harder. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. 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 It just it was it was it was a new thing, you know, as as much time as we've all spent on television and as comfortable as we are when you're put in a new environment, it it can tend to be a little bit more difficult, uh, perhaps than you even anticipate it will be.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, I mean, you you taped it a while ago, as we know, David, and uh, it'll be I wonder what kinds of things can they fix it in post, as they say in Hollywood. (laughs) They, was, they didn't need to
1: fix anything with me, Carl.
2: Come on, Ooh. man.
1: No. <laughs> it's like uh, a shot the They, um, they make to sure to make us all look good. No yeah, doubt, that's, Carl. That's make us all That look is good.
2: definitely the point. I wish yeah. we had some of yep. that on live TV. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the opening bell is a few moments away. Don't go anywhere.
1: Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. Did want to share a statement that we've gotten uh, that's been put out by SEC Chair Gensler on what they're calling recent developments in China. And there are some specifics here that certainly are of interest, I think, to U.S.-based investors. Uh, it does involve the variable interest entities that are created by many Chinese companies that go public here in the United States. In that arrangement, and I'll read here because it may be clearer here than I can explain it, a Chinese-based operating company typically establishes an offshore company in another jurisdiction, Cayman Islands, for example, to issue stock to public shareholders. Then the shell enters, enters into service and other contracts with the China-based operating company, then issues shares on a foreign exchange, such as the New York Stock Exchange. Here's the important part, perhaps, for investors as well. Uh, uh, Gensler says, in light of the recent developments in China, and we all are well aware, of course, and have seen the fall in the stocks as a result of that new guidance and restrictions that they're doing. In light of those recent developments and the overall risk with the China-based VIE structure, variable interest entity structure, he's asked his staff to seek certain disclosures from offshore issuers associated with China-based operating companies before the registration statements will be declared effective. And he goes on from there uh, to talk about specifics. I would direct people, Carl, to read the actual release if they're interested, but we all know about the shellacking that many Chinese companies have taken of late. And by the way, the ones you're looking at, certainly at the top there, Alibaba is one of them uh, that does have that VIE structure in order to list here in the United States.
2: Huge news, uh, huge news out of the SEC this morning, and we're going to keep our eye on all the China shares. I did notice DD free uh, market, is down about 4%, uh, has recovered a little bit as we get closer to the opening bell here. And the CNBC real-time exchange at the big board. It is produce company Dole celebrating its IPO at the NASDAQ Cytosorbents specializing in blood purification what that means, but very nice. Uh, busy week for new issues of all sorts. So we're back to 43.90 here. Uh, S&P is going to open down about 28 points or so. Dow is going to have a little more cushion down 71. Uh, Media is going to be a big story for us today, David. The Scarlett Johansson lawsuit uh, of Disney made huge news yesterday, followed by the remarkable response from Disney uh, calling her lawsuit uh, callous uh, and showing disregard for the pandemic. But You and I have talked about back end compensation in Hollywood for a long time, and it does look like the industry is going to have to evolve one way or another.
1: Without a doubt. And, you know, Carl, one of the keys, and I know you spoke to Brian Roberts as well about that, there's the Disney response saying no merit whatsoever to the filing and is especially sad and distressing in its callous disregard, as you just said, for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. They, by the way, say they fully complied with the contract, uh, and in fact, they say that she's actually in a position to earn a lot more than the twenty million that she was paid. But Carl, you've talked to, you know, uh, we, I talked to uh, Ari Emanuel, of course, uh, about it. Runs Endeavor. Uh, We talked to um, Mark Wahlberg about it as well. Now. And one of the questions I have and I haven't fully answered at this point is this was a contract that was perhaps put together previously and had not been renegotiated. Many of the new deals are already taking account of the new reality in terms of how movies actually are now distributed, so to speak. And the fact that there is not going to be nearly as much of a so-called big back end uh, given box office, at least at this point, doesn't appear to play as important a role overall in the revenues. That are, uh, that are accrued by a film, as much as it is important to sort of keep people subscribing to the direct-to-consumer business and bring in new subscribers to those same businesses that have proved so vitally important for the likes of Disney.
3: You know, we talk so much about the impact streaming is having on movie theaters, uh, on the business models there, but obviously, huge impact as well on actors and producers, and the business models are changing. Uh, to your point, I mean, the, the comments from Mark Wahlberg last week, I, I think, are, are worth revisiting. I believe we have that soundbite where he does talk about Netflix uh, and working with that company, which has really spearheaded some of the new ways that actors are now potentially starting to make money with some of these deals.
5: People decide when and where they want to view their content, right so we want to make we want to make stuff that 's entertaining that people want to watch, how they decide to do that i 've always been a big supporter of the theater system, but uh, and people going out to experience theater, uh, but I also love what Netflix is doing as well so it 's just you know it 's just changing it 's constantly evolving, and we want to continue to make great content and they 're making fantastic content
3: yeah Carl, I mean I think it sort of speaks to the fact that there 's probably always a place for movie theaters, but how large is that place? What does that mean for those stocks? And then on the flip side, given the conversation we're having today, what does that mean for those actual creators of that content? Right.
2: We talked to, of course, our boss, our boss's boss, uh, Brian Roberts of Comcast, yesterday about how this window is going to evolve. He actually had a, I thought, interesting uh, response to the typical day and day 45-day window uh, that, we're, that we're used to because there's so many more layers to distribution of content. Here's what he said. Mm. Do you think some of your competitors are doing it right by two-tracking?
5: Well, first of all, I'm a—my whole life love movies. My wife and I love to go to the movies, uh, and I fully hope and believe that that will be a big part of our society for generations to come, and, and we're certainly excited to do that and work in that way. Um, at the same time, technology has allowed us to build—and Comcast did this for years. We've built 35 million home theaters, potentially, uh, and with consumers, and— <laughs> You want to sometimes stay home
2: 35 million home theaters uh david if you're an exhibitor in the classic theatrical chain (laughs) you have to think hard about that
1: you do you do and listen we talk so often about the importance of these platforms peacock obviously for comcast disney plus and we go on and on from there paramount plus Discovery plus soon to be obviously merged with uh, with the Warner properties as well. This is the key for many of these companies, and they have changed as you know better than many, uh, Carl, the way that they go about distributing movies at this point. Um, Universal for its part, right uh, uh, sort of still uh, doing box office and then also getting some of the streaming money from outside vendors, so to speak, the Netflixes of the world and and HBO's, and then bringing them back to the Peacock platform and perhaps making more money overall. Although, given what you gotta pay and what you're giving up on the back end, this is an expensive proposition. You know, we wanna continue to remind people this is costing a great deal of money for the Warners and the Disney's and the the Universals uh, out there in the world.
2: Uh, we'll watch it guys a uh, huge story uh, obviously in media David you mentioned energy earlier uh, both Exxon and Chevron did meet Chevron free cash flow by the way at a two-year high and they're going to resume the buyback uh, in Q3 Exxon David I know you've been paying close attention to their cost reduction they did say they're on pace for reductions of about 6 billion in 2023 versus 2019 as they have uh, as they're being forced to implement more cost discipline.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, as I pointed out earlier, in the first half of the year, they spent less on CapEx than perhaps have been anticipated, in part because of, of the conditions. Things may have come back a bit more quickly than they'd anticipated, though, at Exxon as well, in terms of the overall rebound. Uh, and let's not forget, you know, they, we are still in what, 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 what many would say is sort of a, a tight supply environment, despite the recent moves even from, from OPEC and a lag of investment, particularly in the Permian, that will keep it tight. For some period of time, you can see though the shares have had a great run during the course of this year. As you know, the biggest one of the biggest corporate stories of the year was the success of that very small activist firm, Engine One, in, in seating three directors on Exxon's board. And we certainly expect to hear and get more transparency and more communication from Exxon Mobil because, as I pointed out many times during the uh, in the days following that heated proxy fight and that loss. Um, That, uh, you know, one of the problems that Exxon's current management faced was simply a long history of frustration on the part of its shareholder base in terms of its transparency. And when it comes to that, Morgan, a lot of it is going to be on carbon capture technology, on the -hmm. progress that they are making towards more efficiency overall in terms of, um, you know, the so-called gaps in the solution set uh, and, and carbon capture being a key one. Uh, and getting better acceptance of that.
3: Yeah, I and mean, it's, it's fascinating to see what has been a paradigm shift for these energy companies, um, both in terms of big oil names like Exxon, for example, here in the U.S., also quite a number of the European companies that are focusing on some of these new clean energy alternative energy carbon capture, for example, uh, technologies, which, by the way, is a key part of that infrastructure bill that is making its way through the Senate right now, Uh, while also just those Permian Permian producers, the U.S. shale producers in general, have really shifted from focusing on output and production numbers and basically drill baby drill to maintaining and improving uh, their financial results and those cash flow numbers as well. And you've got to think that while that might be good for investors, and certainly energy continues to be the top-performing sector in the S&P this year, um, not necessarily, at least in the near term, so good for consumers given the fact that we have these high energy prices and also for businesses where crude and these hydrocarbons continue to be sort of the main crux of our energy infrastructure. goes right back, Carl. You know I bring it up all the time, but it goes right back to this whole inflation debate and just how much is transitory.
2: Uh, that's exactly right. Although Bullard's on the tape uh, today uh, saying that the he thinks criteria and jobs might be met sooner than people think, uh, thinks that the Delta narrative is going to be temporary and that the pandemic's actually coming under better control uh, on. The, I don't know if it was the Bullard headline, but Dow opened down about 100 points and has recovered uh, quite a bit. We're down about 19. Who knows if maybe that had something to do with it? Really quick, David, um, Amazon, six week yeah. low, uh, pins, two month low, and it's a little bit of a negative halo on both Etsy and eBay this morning.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, worth watching all of those. Of course, Amazon being the the main one, as you see, down almost 8%, You know, potentially going to earn less and spend more. I guess that's the simplest way to put it. Um, And Carl, it's been just an extraordinary week of earnings from these enormous companies. I know I've come back to it many times, and this is off of memory, but just going through it. Apple had 36%. I think it was top-line growth. Facebook was 56%. Alphabet, 57% constant currency. Amazon still, what, 27%. Uh, and Microsoft, 21%. I mean, those numbers are just, they're almost inconceivable for companies of this size. I mean, the, the five companies I just mentioned, what do they add up to in market value? I can't even do it. it, it you know, $8 trillion? I don't know. Maybe I'm not even adding up properly. It, and yet, they've all, almost all of them other than Alphabet have lost market cap during the course of this week because of the overall belief that, well, can you really replicate those kinds of numbers? But it does speak and reflect... What, Morgan, has been the increased pay, the acceleration of digitization, I guess, is the best way to put it, that we've seen over this last year. And the beneficiaries of it being those largest platforms, those largest companies that we have uh, in the world.
3: Absolutely. The cloud wars. Enterprise technology, enterprise cloud, the things that we're going to continue to talk about increasingly uh, over the years might not be as flashy as consumer-facing technology, but this is where so many billions and billions of dollars are going from companies right now, because it kind of doesn't matter what sector, what industry you're in, uh, your company needs to essentially be a tech company, and everything is kind of shifting to the cloud. And it's Microsoft, it's Amazon, it's increasingly Google, as we saw in those numbers, although maybe perhaps a distant third, and then everyone else. What does this continue to evolve as? What does this look like? And what does it also mean... Carl, for investors when it does come to some of these software and cloud names.
2: Uh, You're right. by the way, uh, best performing Dow stock, you might not guess, uh, but it's P&G uh, this morning. <laughs> even with their uh, comments about the rising cost pressure, they did see uh, Q4 organic revenue up four and streets at about three. So uh, getting a little bit of a lift. S&P's back to 4,400. When we return, MicroStrategy's Michael Saylor, a lot to talk about regarding Bitcoin and his strategy. And of course, Chicago PMI is coming up at a quarter to the hour. In the meanwhile... Take a look at the month-to-date chart of the 10-year note yield. Man, uh, bond markets definitely sniffed out uh, many things, including that GDP miss from yesterday. We'll be right back.
6: Rick Santelli here live at the CME HQ, having a bit of computer problems, but things seem to be working again. Of course, we are awaiting the release of the Chicago purchasing manager, the PMI, it's expected to be uh, somewhere less than the 75.2, which was out a couple months ago. That was a 48 year high. Now, we are waiting this data come out momentarily. You know what? My systems are down here. I'm going to have to kick it back to the show. My apologies.
2: I'm not, I'm not sure Walk it's your system. Actually, you know, Rick, uh, I'm just looking at a wire flash head. I, I think we're seeing 73.4, which I think would be above expectations. Yes,
6: 73.4, and I thank you, Carl. My, my, my systems went down. 73.4, as I was saying. 75.2 is a 48-year high. We are backing back away from that a bit, and right now as we sit at 124 on a 10 year note. It's down several basis points on the day, several basis points on the week. And of course, we'll continue to monitor how all this and this morning's hotter than expected year over year pricing will continue to affect yields. Squawk on the street will return after these messages.
1: Companies are pushing back their return to office plans. This, of course, as the Delta variant continues to surge in many parts of the country. We're joined now by Bob Salentic, the CEO of CBRE. It is one of the world's largest commercial real estate firms. Bob, always good to have you. By the way, I don't want to uh, I want to get to what has been a, a very strong quarter for you, not to mention a stock price that has surged uh, over the last 12 months. But we do come to you often to give us real time updates on where things stand in the corporate office marketplace. Are you seeing things get pushed back the way at least we're hearing anecdotally?
5: David, we are seeing things get pushed back a little. The the phrase I would use to best describe what's going on with office space and COVID is uncertainty. People are a little uncertain about what the future of office is going to look like, how many people are going to be back in the office and what the timing is going to be. And, of course, when that's the circumstance, decisions don't get made about the use of office space. What we've seen with most of our clients and with our own company is because of this Delta variant, things are getting pushed back around 30 days, at least for now. Uh, That could, of course, change. I will say this. It's not what it was a year ago. Uh, before the vaccines came out. With the progress that's been made here in the U.S., even though we want more, and the progress that's been made in Europe, even though we want more, and starting to uh, see around the world, we're in a much better place than we were a year ago before there were any vaccines.
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, what are you seeing in terms of occupancy right now in, in many of the buildings that, uh, that you manage
5: Well, it's different from market to market, and it's different around the world. People are much more back to the office in Asia, for instance, than they are here in the United States. If you look in the city, I'm in Dallas, you hear varying reports that we're getting close to 50% back in the office. If you go uh, to New York City, where they have mass transportation that they have to rely on and so forth, you hear stories uh, and reports that it's closer to 10 to 15 percent, maybe uh, edging up from there. But again, so much uncertainty still going on. And we think what we really believe is you'll start, start to see things crystallize in a much more uh, de- definitive way uh, after Labor Day.
3: The strength, The strength we're seeing in industrial right now, how sustainable is that and how reflective is it of the fact that you have supply chains around the world playing catch up from COVID?
5: Well, you said two things there. You said industrial and you said supply chains. Uh, industrial real estate is doing extraordinarily well. Um, it's uh, full. There's more good product being built. That's being very quickly taken up. Uh, values are good. This is in the United States. This is in Europe. This is in Asia. It's a very, very good product type. And it's a product type that CBRE is very involved in. By the way, things would be even more um, overloaded on the industrial space side if it wasn't for the clogged up situation that we have with supply chains around the world. um, I I would imagine that there would be more industrial space being used than there is today. So I think the demand for industrial space with the economy being on a good trajectory, with e-commerce being on a very good trajectory, is going to be strong for years to come.
1: Uh, you know, I know U.S. Uh, real estate development saw record operating profits, Bob. Uh, what, you know, what is your projection there? Can that continue at the same pace?
5: Well, we have a very large development business. It's a branded, uh, Trammell Crow Company, largest commercial developer in the United States. Uh, we generated our best quarter ever, uh, in the second quarter of 2021. And the reason for that was, as you said, there are aspects of what's going on out there that are doing exceptionally well. Industrials doing exceptionally well. Um, Multifamily, uh, institutional quality multifamily is doing exceptionally well. But some of our best projects uh, in the last uh, year have been when we had really, really high quality office tenants fully occupy a building, say top-tier technology companies, there's a lot of demand from capital for those buildings. Or when we're doing build-a-suit work for uh, office clients that still are committed to having significant portions of their population back in the office.
3: Bob, you just mentioned multifamily. The fact that this federal eviction moratorium is set to expire this weekend, expectations that that could actually be extended. And if not, what are the ripple effects?
5: Well, we think long term, the institutional quality multifamily product is going to do extraordinarily well. And there's a big demand for it. There's a big demand from tenants and there's a big demand then, of course, from capital sources to own that product. So it's for companies like ours that develop it, that finance it, that sell it. Uh, there's a big opportunity for us. And again, with the record uh, results that CBRE had in the second quarter, by the way, I'll note double digit growth from peak year 2019. A lot of that was driven by the work we do in the multifamily space.
1: Uh, Bob, you joined us only a few weeks ago. Of course, we talked a lot about your your SPAC deal at that point. But I also asked you and you said that you expect Things are going to settle in at, I think, 80 to 85 percent in terms of overall occupancy when we're finally sort of, as we like to say, on the other side. Anything change in that, given the Delta variant? Is it going to create, I don't know, not just uncertainty, but perhaps a a less willingness of people to go back at all?
5: I think it creates uncertainty. It continues the uncertainty. I don't think it changes things in the long run. Uh, In the long run, we're going to figure out what technology means to support occupancy versus working from home, you know, the hybrid uh, solution. We're going to figure out how much people need to be together for collaboration, for culture, for problem solving, for bringing young people on board. And we'll settle in somewhere um, independent of the Delta variant that would be what it would have been otherwise, in my view.
1: Yeah. Well, Bob, always appreciate it uh, and should point out your stock is up 124% over the last 12 months. Bob Solentic from CBRE.
5: Thank you very much.
2: Guys, as you've been chatting, Dow has gone green. Uh, Not much. Five points or so as we are going to wrap up the month of uh, July today. Interesting. You know, August is seasonally weak Mm -hmm. generally. Uh, Over the last 20 years or so, uh, S&P has been up 12, uh, down eight of all those Augusts. Average return of just about minus two percent. But we'll see. Uh, Last August was crazy because of the COVID rally. Uh, By the way, thanks to Jay Woods for some of those great historicals on August.
3: Yeah, absolutely. In terms of what is lower for the month of August, it's the Russell 2000 down 3%, uh, poised to close down 3%, and also the Dow Transports, which also I think speaks to, and maybe that's in jeopardy given some of the earnings and reaction to earnings that we've seen in the big cap tech names this week, but that rotation we did see out of the so-called reflation, reopening trades, and into uh, tech, so we'll see how that proceeds in the month of August. I can't believe we're talking about August. I know.
2: Uh, We're definitely getting there. And David, you know, talking about some of the uh, pauses in uh, the recovery efforts, at least as it pertains to commercial real estate, we got GDP yesterday. So far, the the lingering uh, discussion appears to be well. Uh, Inventories might have dinged us a little bit in Q2, but it does set us up for maybe a stronger than expected Q3. Uh, Maybe we can start talking about duration of recovery rather than uh, strength. We will see. There's a lot to be Mm -hmm. learned.
1: You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street.
0: Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track, we care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.